Welcome to the White Wall Cinema Podcast. Today, we'll be discussing Martin Scorsese's underappreciated 1974 classic, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, starring Ellen Burstyn. Welcome to another White Wall Cinema Podcast. We're a pop-up community cinema in central Brighton. We specialise in interesting unusual, fun, overlooked cinema, both old and new. And this is our relatively new podcast. Um, So we're going to be talking today about Martin Scorsese's Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Um, Now, not everybody's seen Alice. Uh, It's a 1974 picture that sits in Martin Scorsese's biography, uh, biography, his filmography, um, between... um, Mean Streets and Taxi Driver. So we're just at a point where Martin Scorsese has redefined cinema with Mean Streets, those opening moments of Mean Streets with the uh, uh, the song that kicks in right at the beginning and the, the character waking up in bed. It's kind of an opening, um, it's kind of opening of a new form of cinema at that exact moment. Uh, and of course, you know, Harvey Keitel and, and Robert De Niro. Uh, and uh, th- this is a moment where cinema's, bust wide open uh, by Martin Scorsese and then it's crystallised a little bit later with Taxi Driver. But what happens in the meantime is Alice doesn't live here anymore. Um, so the basic story, um, and I should, before I go any further, I'm Henry and this is Layla. Hello. There you go. So you know there's two of us here, <laughs> here. if you're just listening to this and not looking at it. Um, and the basic story of Alice doesn't live here anymore is... Uh, in essence, that Ellen Burstyn, um, who had basically got herself quite a bit of, uh, uh, what was the word, power at this point, because she'd been famous in for being in The Last Picture Show, uh, Peter Bogdanovich's wonderful um, uh, small town film with Jeff Bridges, uh, and also uh, in The Exorcist, of course, which was a super hit. She's basically gotten the chance to call the shots a little bit. And she's read everything uh, that Warner Brothers have in terms of scripts. Uh, And she didn't like them broadly because she says that she found these characters are like, you know, like most scripts, really. It's a woman in relation to a man. You know, she's the wife, the mother, the whore, whatever kind of role. Uh, These are her words, by the way. Uh, but But it's always in relation to a man. Um, and so she actually then had a, a script brought to her through her agent, which she then pitched to Warner and was looking for someone to direct it. And she called Francis Ford Coppola, of course, was a big name by this point. Francis Ford Coppola was a big name because of The Godfather, but Martin Scorsese wasn't. Uh, and so he, he, she called Francis Ford Coppola and said, who should I get to direct this film? And... Francis said, as you might imagine he would, have a look at Mean Streets. Um, and she was very impressed by Mean Streets, as anybody would have been at that point, and thought, well, this is the guy, and asked him to come in and say, you know, what, what, how he would direct this film. She said to him, I can't tell from your movie if you know anything about women. And he said, so she said what do you know about women? And Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese said, uh, absolutely nothing, but I'd like to learn. Mm-hmm. And and Ellen Burstyn thought this is a 
a wise man. <laughs> so, um, you know, the story of Alice is essentially about a mother who has been trapped in a marriage that is um, a difficult or maybe it's, let's just let's say it's a loveless marriage. Yeah. And she... Um, through one circumstance or another, has to basically go out on 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 her own. She has to live her own life and 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 try to find uh, the world for herself. You know, she has to start again in a way, and it's just her and her young boy, her young son. Uh, and it's it's not quite a road movie. It does start out briefly as a road movie where they travel from one place that they live to where they're going to try to live and try to make a life for themselves. Uh, and she, what she wants to be is a singer, a kind mm. of club singer or a bar singer mm. um, or a cabaret singer. I mean, you know, but it, realistically, she's, she looks for jobs in bars playing piano and singing uh, and and, uh, and f- faces obstacles that are both kind of economic and kind of just straight up sexism. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like a world of men. Even with the singing, it's like she has to go through this process of just like, auditioning for these men in these bars and kind of persuading them to have her and you know it's just kind of economically i can't think yeah of well the they're dusty they're dusty little bars yeah, aren't they're they? dusty they, little bars they don't really want a singer they don't necessarily have the money for one she has to sort of go around like forging her way in every sense and they're these weird american bars that are sort yeah. of they look like they could be in another life if they were split into two maybe someone's front room or something yeah. it's a really odd you know, the, the kind of bars like you see in all these American films like Rocky and, you know, I mean, they're just on a little corner door. Yeah. And then just you go inside. dark and smoky and like. Low ceilings. Yeah. Yeah. Like she goes in at one point, she's like, can I speak to the manager? And they're like, no manager, just the owner. He's there. And it's just sort of like. Yeah. A reminder of how like small everything is. Yeah. They're all small town. Yeah. Small town places. And, and indeed what ends up happening without, again, spoiling the film too much, although we will talk a little bit about the plot. But um, is that she uh, ends up being a waitress because that's sort of what happens uh, when the, you try to find these jobs in these bars that aren't really there. And she um, meets Chris Christopherson. And it's just an, a chance for another... It's another chance at life. Mm. It's another chance at a go-around. She works in this in this uh, diner with, um, with Diane Ladd. Yeah. And there is a very, very... Before I forget this bit of trivia, there is a very, very, very young... Laura Dern, of course, in the film, in the film yeah. yeah, as a small child. It's yeah. her film debut. Not that she does much or that you notice, but you, you, if you're looking for her, you will find mm. Laura Dern. Um, so, yeah, 1974, uh, and uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. So, a fascinating picture, and I would say the thing that y- you have to say straight away about it is that, well, I think most directors, to be honest, if I, you know, if I'm honest, most great great directors are misunderstood by the general public or people that aren't close fans of their work you know with Hitchcock or you know any anybody that you kind of you know people sort of will think broadly you know Alfred Hitchcock is about the birds and a psycho but if you're Hitchcock if you've watched the Hitchcock movies all of them uh, or most of them then you'll know that there's much more to Hitchcock actually you'll probably regard him as a different director maybe people think of maybe the general public might think of Alfred Hitchcock as a horror director whereas I would think of him as more a suspense director or you know 
his films aren't so much horror films as they are cases of mistaken identity. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. And so with Martin Scorsese, it's quite similar, I think, because people probably think, here's a guy that directs, he's an Italian-American that directs gangster flicks. And it's not really true. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, of course, he does direct gangster flicks, but it's not, you know, and, and, and they, many of those things, you know, uh, Italian-American neighborhoods, Italian-American stories are often at the heart of what he does. New York stories are often at the heart of what he does. But they're not all gangster flicks. And a lot of the very... I mean, there's ones about the Dalai Lama and there's ones about uh, the the uh, the about the Age of Innocence. And I mean, there's all sorts of different themes um, that the, the, the run through his work. But this was, I guess, in some ways, for some people, uh, it would be an unexpected entry because it's really... It's not. I don't think it's designed as a feminist film, mm. but ultimately it is. Mm. Uh, I mean, how does I it? I think yeah, it might be surprising to people how much it puts the female front and center, and that it is about sort of a female experience. Um, people might be surprised by that if they do associate just Scorsese with those sort of gangster flicks, like you said. I think he. As it's a, also sorry it's no, just like it's unexpectedly i think quite sensitive towards it yeah in a way that you might not expect i think she i think what's happened is my uh, the sense that i've always gotten from it is that she has been the she's the driving force behind this ellen burstyn because mm-hmm. she won the oscar for this um uh, and it's not uh, oscar bait particularly it's not you know not as we recognize it today it's no. a very authentic film but she has, Martin Scorsese has come along and said, I will get out of Ellen Burstyn's way. But then as the film has gone on in the earlier stages of the production, she's recognised his talent. And in terms of directing, maybe not in terms of producing or or, or, or uh, some of the story elements, because you know, there's a lot of Ellen Burstyn kind of autobiographical elements, which we'll come back to in a minute. But she's gotten out of his way. Because it does feel like a Martin Scorsese film. Yeah. Right. Which is funny. Well, I said to you, I read some of the criticism of the film and one critic at the time sort of accused Scorsese of being too kind of heavy handed with the camera yeah. in this film. Yeah. Like took issue with that. And I just didn't find that. No. I found that like, yeah, he obviously puts his stamp on it. Like right from the beginning, there's like a swooping shot down onto the house. Yeah. And it just feels like Scorsese. Yeah. But it's not like... It doesn't get in the way of her performance in any way. And it always serves a purpose. That was my interpretation. So I was surprised to see that criticism. Well, his his camera moves always do serve a purpose mm. for the story. Mm. You know, but people, I think, who don't understand filmmaking... I mean, you, I don't even think you need to understand filmmaking. Because, mm. you know, I think it's just a... He doesn't put them there to, to be flash. No. You know, I think maybe people are looking for something to criticise and yeah. they might mistake something that actually does purely serve the story. Mm. It's not just a case of being stylized because mm. there is a certain stylization, but it's always about a statement. Mm. And, you know, the, I guess just before that camera shot that you mentioned is the very, very opening of the film, which is, again, cinema, 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 with yeah. Martin Scorsese always, is that it's a sort of... Um, uh, I guess you probably the easiest reference would be to say it's a sort of Wizard of Oz um, Gone with the Wind style opening um, where it's Alice is a young girl. uh, And actually, I think I think anyway, Ellen Burstyn is in silhouette, at least playing her own mother. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's a sort of red tinged. Sort of like a studio set. Yeah. With like wind blowing leaves across. Yeah. Tumbleweed <laughs> in a yeah. barn, isn't yeah. it? But with a kind of red sky. So it's yeah. sort of like. Uh, it's it sort of like. a combination of Wizard of Oz. Wizard of, and, and sort of the Gone, Gone with the Wind, wind color palette. Yeah. Yeah. And there's other films that that references, um, but basically it just sort of starts with this young girl for a few moments. So she's just sort of singing uh, a little song because obviously Alice wants to be a singer. Mm. And then it just um, jarringly and purposely, because even the beginning titles are like a sort of Circian kind of like, you know, old fashioned, you know, romantic kind of movie mm. style mm. in, 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 in uh, Academy Ratio, Square mm. Ratio. And then it bursts open into widescreen uh, and becomes this modern movie with the music that I think it's Mott the Hoople that plays as it kicks into life. And there's a sort of shot that tracks over the house and then, you know, cuts into the house. And this very kind of, I would say, a very 1974 way, except only really, you know, not everybody's doing this in 1974. Marty's pioneering this stuff. And then you get the scene where he's, you know, I can't remember what Alice is doing. She's sewing or something. Yeah. Yeah, in the window. And yeah. and her young boy is sat with two speakers. Listening to music very loudly. Yeah. Being shouted at by the dad. Yeah. Either side of his head. You know, in that, sometimes you see it in old movies again, particularly 70s movies where someone lays down and put yeah. two speakers either side of the head because, you know, want to get that stereo effect, <laughs> um, particularly if you're listening to Mott the Hoople. Um, and... Um, you know, for Ellen Burstyn's point of view, she's just been through her third divorce, uh, as you know, personally speaking. Um, uh, and her her first husband uh, suffered with schizophrenia and had violent ep- episodes to, towards her. Um, and years later in her book, she revealed that he uh, stalked her for six years. Uh, and at one point broke into her house and sexually assaulted her. So with all that sort of strong story that I'm telling you there in mind, um, well, and, and I should also say that, you know, this tells you something about the times, that she rang the police and she's, they said that a husband, technically speaking, because they're married, you know, cannot rape a wife. Yeah. So this tells you something about where kind of, you know, in the law, they in from a law legal perspective, that was right. Mm. Spousal abuse was not a crime as of yet. Mm. Um, so I think some of the elements that are in the film that Ellen Burstyn has deliberately included, and of course, people on the set making this film don't know about Burstyn's mm. story at this point because she hasn't doesn't reveal it for a few, several years after until she writes this book. She, only she knew about it, but I think it makes some of the scenes in the film extraordinarily, particularly the one. She meets a young Harvey Keitel, who um, is a guy that basically, you know, comes on to her in the local bar when she's doing a session. And there's a scene where he breaks a, pl- a plate glass window of the door. Uh, and well, it's, it's quite, in a way, it's hard to watch because partly because Harvey Keitel is such a great actor. Yeah. And he's so. I, mean, I was surprised by it. Like I, that was the second time I watched it, and I d- didn't realize how intense his performance was. Yeah, like I didn't remember it being that way, and then I watched it the second time, and I was like, kind of blown away by it. It was, like, it was very uneasy. Yeah, watching. and so it's partly because his, in- his performance is so intense. Yeah, I mean, he's just capable of being so nasty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible, but also because she is. But it's in her. Li- 
yeah it's in her reaction to it too yeah she's living it uh, or has lived it and is now living it uh, she's exercising it if you yeah. excuse the punk she was in the exorcist but she's <laughs> exercising this emotion um in the film uh and uh i think the funny thing about harvey Keitel's character is is that he has this scorpion it's like a little charm that he wears around his neck i guess he has a sort of one of those little thin ties kind yeah. of american cowboy yes. look that he has yeah in the midwest it's like a cowboy pasta look yeah <laughs> you know those little dangly i'm not saying it's not stylish <laughs> Um, it's bordering on Clint Eastwood. Yeah, but there's something. Uh, 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 he has this little scorpion emblem that is in his little, that is on his tie that holds his little tie together, and he sort of says to her at one point, "You remember this?" Yeah. He says to her something along the lines of, "You know, don't mess with the scorpion, or it won't yeah. mess with you, or something." Yeah. He's like, "This is who I am," or something. Yeah, and I it's, don't know. he points to it as though it's like a, some sort of personification of him. Exactly, and it screams just sort of the rules and attitude. it screams mental. Yeah. <laughs> It screams, it screams danger, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a real red flag, I think. Yeah. But it sort of screams the kind of rules and ideologies and sort of identities that like young men set up for themselves. Yeah. You know, to sort of make themselves feel strong and powerful yeah. and, 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 you know, uh, to give them confidence. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a very good, clever uh, performance because he's both sort of, he's, he's kind of stupid uh, and... Uh, violent he's a real blunt instrument but it's exactly right for the role mm. and she is a perfect kind of foil for her and of course he's coming off the back of mean streets as well so obviously that's a, a, a obvious reason why he would have been cast um and then i think i mean speak to this a little bit but i think the thing about alice as a character is that she is discovering what is like not to be an auxiliary person someone who is attached to someone else you know she is the wife of mm. you know and she's a person in her own right uh and you know i think it's easy to forget how this would have been um you know to be the primary person would have been even in 73 74 73 when the film was being made mm. uh, and probably and obviously written before that would have been a pretty astonishing idea for the average woman it's not that there hadn't been um uh you know uh, uh equal rights or uh, you know there been people had been campaigning for these things obviously for a long time but for most women at that time for the majority of women uh, that movement has passed over the kind of a lot of the mainstream and many of those women essentially would have been living the same kind of uh, in 72 73 would have been living the same kind of life their mothers did in the 1950s yeah and just sort of seeing the possibilities of breaking out of it and struggling with that, kind of making that happen and the ideology of it and sort of breaking free of... Yeah, but discovering it for yourself because it isn't sort of like she's like, oh, I've def I've, you know, because she's not on the cutting edge of feminism here. She's not mm. gone, oh, like I've got this feminist ideology. She just wants to exist and be a human. Mm. And she can't, well, she has no choice. She has to, you know. I'm trying not to, I don't want to give a spoiler, although it's yeah. at the beginning of the film. Well, that's all right. Just, it's early. There's one... There's a line she says, she's being fitted for a dress, which in itself is a certain kind of life. image and mm. life. And then she sort of is joking with her friend about, oh, you know, basically life without a husband, I think. Yeah. And she sort of wishes that he wouldn't exist. Mm. Yeah. And later on, when she's <laughs> made to go off on her own, she's yeah. a little bit like, I've made this happen. Yeah. 
And it's like, it, that to me was a little bit like, she exists in that sort of 50s, 60s housewife world, but she's wished herself out of it. And now she's actually found herself in a situation where here it is. Now deal with it. Yeah. Here's your, rea- your new reality. Yeah. And she's a little bit thrown by it. She's like, I actually have to make it on my own. Now. It's like, this is what I wanted. Yeah. But I, there's no safety net and there's no one leading by example yeah. directly in her life. Yeah. I mean, even this friend of hers that she's joking around with, like she has to leave her behind. So it's interesting. It's uh, well, uh, the Equal Credit Act, which is, by the way, the it's giving you the statistics here or the facts, but the Equal Credit Act, which was the um, act that came into force in America that allowed that said that you could that, that basically you couldn't disqualify someone from having credit, i.e., getting a loan or find mm-hmm. any kind of financial, tra- you know, mortgage, whatever. Mm-hmm. You couldn't discriminate against them on the basis of their gender or their marital status yeah i mean let you know oh you're a woman you can have it but not not unless you're married yeah you know whatever that might be um that didn't come in till 1975 the year after the film's release right so you know the equality is it's hard to i mean you we you can look back at kind of um the movements in feminism Mm -hmm. and equality and be easily fooled into thinking that these are crossed over into the the mainstream by this point but of course for the average woman it hadn't and that's why another reason why it's such a great film because again it isn't a sort of it isn't a feminist film by design it, it just is inherently yeah you know it, it, it's um it is the, the and the film you know is an um just the idea that it's a film from a woman's point of view in 1974 you think of all the great cinema in american in the kind of a great flowering of American mm. cinema that happened in the seventies, there's very few of them that are mm. centrally a woman's story. No, and I think also not just about being a woman, or being a woman and trying to exist with or without a man, but also being a mother mm. and showing that perspective in cinema in a very central role. I mean, I can't think of other examples. Even since then, I don't know if you see that much. Yeah. Certainly uh, like, not American cinema. You know, a yeah. single mother with a young son. Yeah. And the son. And the struggles of that yeah. involved. Not just like, you know. Yeah. It's not... Um, I mean, it shows her losing her patience with this child. Yeah. You know, it's not afraid to go there. Yeah. The relationship between the mother and son is wonderful, though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. The kid. I mean... The kid. <laughs> he's, he's amazing. Fantastic, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously seen through... Obviously saw a lot of kids to get to this point. Yeah. But he's like, he's like at once a child and childish and occasionally a man. Yeah. And like a 56 year old. Yeah. It's really strange. <laughs> the stuff he comes out with and you just think, where have you got this from? Well, uh, And it can only be improvisation. Yeah. Because there's no way they're feeding him these lines. No. And sometimes it's really small, like micro responses to things she says. Yeah. He's amazing. He's. I mean, I think he wanted. Did he want to be a, when he told Marty, oh, "I want to be a magician or something"? Oh. He told. I don't know. He auditioned. He said, yeah. "I want to be some a comedian, stand-up comedian." Yeah. And I he, went, he is a stand-up. Yeah. Comedian. And Marty went, "This is the guy." Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. He's so good. It's worth watching just for the kid. Yeah. Like it, everything else aside. And how many times in your life are you watching a movie and you're sort of like, "I can't stand the child in I know. this movie." Yeah. You know. Don't, whatever I don't know what you're gonna say. You can't. <laughs> that's gonna say the Babadook. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, that's just, purposeful, isn't of it? Of course. Yeah. 
but like to me every child in every film is the babadook child yeah, <laughs> like, yeah no but so annoying. it's so easy to be be irritated by, yeah. by by kids on screen because they can be too syrupy or yeah or, or kind of just not very good actors yeah. or whatever or just cheesy and line delivery this kid's got it i mean he it, brings something to it and like it's like he holds his own and he challenges the actors around him yeah i don't think he did any other films by the way i don't i think he gave up acting shortly thereafter he did all he yeah. needed to do. Yeah, he kind of nailed like, it. I've done it. Yeah, I mean, I've done it all. If you do that well in a Martin Scorsese film, really, what is There's left no for you? There's no need to do anything no. else. It's just that's why you see Robert De Niro or Leonardo DiCaprio go back time and time again. Because where do you go from there? Yeah, you know, all he could have done is another Martin Scorsese film. Yeah, but um, you know, I, uh, he could have had his own TV show. That yeah, kid. Yeah, <laughs> but just the the moments between the kid and her. One, you're right. He's he's sort of charming. Yeah. On the other hand, they allow him to be annoying. Yeah. I mean, there's a he bit... He can be bratty and he can be really like... He can be nasty. Yeah. He's which, sometimes nasty to her. Which is not... You don't see that often enough. No. Fact. And also, like, of course he is. Because look at the men that he's been around. Yes. So it makes sense. Yeah. And he has a sense of entitlement, I guess, on yeah, that basis. Yeah. But the relationship is beautifully, uh, beautifully portrayed because there's so many wonderfully real moments. Mm. Um, I'm thinking of the sort of... There's a scene where they have a water... Yeah, a water fight, you know, where they're throwing, and the reaction to it is so organic and so real that you can't help be charmed and feel that feel that this is a real relationship. Yeah, and these two people really are, you know, mother and son. It, it, and there's also a sort of, um, I mean, the th- the things that he said. So there's kind of there's a random real world quality to it, which is what gives it its authenticity because you know it's quite a simple story in a lot of ways, but it is the details. And one of the things that I think of is like I and I heard this story. It made me laugh because if you've seen the film, you'll know. But this is, again, it's not a spoiler. But there's a section where he's like telling this just interminably awful joke, which to his mum in the car, which isn't funny in the slightest. No. But it's one of those jokes that kids tell that you can't even understand like what it is. Where have they got this from? Where? Why do they find it funny? And what is the punchline? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. But and it's just like really annoying. And Ellen Burstyn plays that scene yeah. magnificently. Her the lines that she has and the way that she deliver, delivers yeah. them, and the way that she sort of pretends that she gets a joke just to shut him up and then carries on is just sort of like <laughs> yeah, it, it's fantastic. He's like, do you get it? She's like, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. <laughs> she gives she in, like, nearly yeah. cries. She has to tell the truth that she doesn't get it because the situation calls for it. Anyway, <clears throat> but he 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 told that story. That joke, which is sort of a joke, story joke. Yeah. To Martin Scorsese as they're like driving to set and he's telling him it over and over again. And Marty's like, I don't get it. Like what? Oh, what? Uh, what? You know, over and over again. And Marty like just found it so annoying. But also, you, I mean, if you know, if you've ever seen Marty discussing things or you've spent enough time watching foot, footage of Marty, you'll know that he also finds this sort of thing hilarious. Yeah. And that he's genuinely like... He's he, laughing at yeah. his own... Yeah, everything... The situation that he's been put in. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it is really uh, enjoyable. But he thought, well, this is just going to have to go in the movie. And it comes up a couple of times in the movie, but it's only a small detail. Mm. But it speaks to... Well, it allows every, everyone's acting and everyone's kind of performance is first class. And these little moments, which are, have to be done organically, which is, is... It's all well doing a big moment when there are some brilliant moments where there's sort of there are tears and there has to be a kind of big admission of something or a kind of, you know, opening up about something. But really the movie, and those bits are wonderful. Yeah. But the bits that really make it are the small, organic, truthful 
interactions which are really hard to do on screen because mm. you've got to you've got to show you know you've got to show a kind of rehearsed authenticity because the, the, the improv won't be necessarily just straight in the scene yeah it'll have been improv yeah. and then you might have to performed. do it again yeah. several times yeah. but they all do it so brilliantly um it's a, a special film from 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 so many small details all the way through everybody even some of the actors who are clearly not professional actors yeah they just seem like real people yeah. but then i think um <clears throat> is her name diane ladd yes sorry she seems like one of those people in this i think she just genuinely seems like that character from the diner like you... she's just this woman who works in the diner and she's got she's very like sassy and <laughs> sure of herself and she kind of like invites she invites from men certain sort of sexually charged interactions that I think Ellen Burstyn's character is just sick of. Mm. And so she thinks that she hates this character to begin with. And then they end up sort of having a friendship, like on the terms. Coming that, to a certain... Yeah. Like, <clears throat> you know, maybe they're not best friends, but they end up getting along. Yeah. They kind of see each other for what they are. Yeah. But her character, I think, you is really well done. You wouldn't question that. You would just think this is who Diane Ladd was. Yeah. You wouldn't think she had any other personality, yeah. would you, than this? No, it seems really genuine. Um, she seems like she's someone that works. She, sometimes At there are people. Mel's diner yeah, or whatever. There, there are sometimes called. these people that get cast in these small parts, like the guys that run the bar or whatever, who are just some. Yeah. They're not even extras. They might just be non professional yeah. actors, mm -hmm. you know, that just put in for a bit of reality. She seems like that and she's in a major mm -hmm. role. Uh, that, not to say that she doesn't seem like she's a good actor, but, you know, that it just seems very yeah. naturalistic. Yeah. So another person we should mention who's in this is a very young Jodie Foster who is about uh, 10 or 11 years old when this film, which is amazing considering how good she is in the film as yeah. well. Um, but she is, um, she obviously was taken forward by Martin Scorsese from her performance in this onto his next film, which was Taxi Driver, which of course is a very memorable role, um, opposite De Niro and Harvey Keitel again. Uh, and she, um, I mean, it's amazing when you think that she is, you know, like a year after this, she's basically, it's not the year after this, it's 75, actually, film 74 in 76, she's in her next run of films, it's five films, I had a look at what what the films were, she's in, uh, out of the five films, three of them that I, I looked up were, um, she's in Taxi Driver, of course, she's in Freaky Friday, and she's in Bugsy Malone, so these are like massive, mm -hmm. you know, these are massive films that everybody remembers, so she sort of unlocked Hollywood you know already by and, the age of 11 but the, exactly yeah <laughs> so um so i uh, she and she's a great little character yeah in, she is. she's a real sort of she kind of brings the kid out of his shell as well not that, i mean he's already like an outgoing character but she's kind of i feel like she allows him to be a child in a way and they kind of run around causing trouble together a yeah. little bit <laughs> yeah she's a bit of a rabble rouser yeah yeah and she gives she's got real attitude in it she does she's another one that's like you just kind of can't believe where do they where did where do they get this attitude from? Yeah, like this like eleven-year-old, twelve-year-old. They're acting like they've seen the world, which yeah. I guess she she yeah. kind of has. Yeah, but it's yeah another uh, an, another amazing performance that fits right in with all these other amazing yeah. performances that are in this film. Um, and you know, I, 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 my understanding is that Ellen Burstyn worked with Marty on this, and she saw that he was, um, you know, a real ball of energy, and that he, he was a kind of creative genius. She's handed over a lot of the kind of director i mean obviously he's the director so you know but so much of the artistry is this proto this this very burgeoning martin scorsese style and i love seeing all those little pans and kind of 
cuts and rhythms yeah. that Marty gets into the film that, that gives you that gives this film that could basically be a kind of soap opery film. Mm. Um, you know, and that's not to denigrate soap opery, but just that it could be that kind of thing, but it isn't. It is very much a kind of emotional story, mother and son, a woman trying to make it on her own, which sounds like, you know, it should have some sort of, you know, inspirational soundtrack to it or whatever, <laughs> but it, it's more than that because it, he, he's managed to kind of cut it and pare it into down into a very distilled very cinematic um very kind of not too much but in the right way but dynamic film Mm -hmm. where and it doesn't again there's a lot of i mean it's weird that that person would say this about the camera because a lot of sort of static simple shots that you know just to allow the scene to happen yeah i think that the handheld camera um that this person took issue with actually it only happens in like scenes where i think it's appropriate like when she's kind of on the verge of a breakdown they're in like a small motel room and everything Mm. feels very claustrophobic and she's dealing with the kid it's like it makes sense for those i think by today's level choices today's level of stylization people won't even notice it no it's true um it would seem tame yeah by today's standards but uh you know it's it's also chris christopherson as i say is in this movie and he's uh he's just a customer of the diner that ends up interacting with 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 Ellen, and it's interesting about Chris Christopherson because, in a way, his character is at first he never quite crosses the line. In the very beginning, when she meets him, there's a period where she's sort of trying to figure it out, and then there's a bit period later where they sort of have they they know each other better, and there's more mm. um, intense discussions, shall we say? He never, I don't think, anyway. Maybe you have a different point of view on this. He never quite crosses the line into being like a complete asshole or doing anything wrong but it always pushes it to tease that to see where is this line in relationships you know what is when he first meets her he's saying things that you know that might that would certainly by today's standard be considered a bit pushy um you know will he go on a date with you will you go he's on a sort date of with harassing me? her a bit in yeah. the in the cafe but yeah. it's not I mean, compared to other men, even in this film, yeah, it's, it's tame. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but the thing is, they don't. So, they, I don't think he crosses the line in what no. he does. But you're wondering why is he moving up to the line? What's he going to be? They yeah. tease you a yeah. little bit with yeah. that. Will he be as bad as all the other, uh, as all the other men? You know. Mm. Uh, and then there's a scene later where they sort of have an argument, and he he does go too far, I think, in that scene. But it's about well, what does that mean? You know, does that mm. mean that they? that they need to work on it from there or is it just that it's completely or or or, you know do men have to have no faults to be Mm. in the street or is that just part of it and Mm. how far is acceptable what's reasonable you know alice is working all this stuff out as well yeah you know she 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 isn't just sort of um she isn't uh she 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 is not completely she's she's part of reality but she's not giving in and acquiescing in a way that's yeah. unreasonable and she's got a sort of determination not to repeat the past i think and she's she's removed herself from one situation and then another yeah and with okay how do i not guess what <laughs> yeah <is>? no it's <laughs> right mild but, yeah you know with the Talk harvey Keitel situation yeah she removes herself yeah. almost immediately once yeah. it's revealed yeah um so then it is by the time you come to chris christopherson being like more in her life yeah you can feel the struggle because it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, where's the line? I've already removed myself from two situations. Do I, how much leeway do I give? And like how much, you know, but she does demand respect from him. And I think that he sort of learns from her. But it's not, yes. And it's not a one dimensional romance. That's the beauty of it. It isn't just sort of like, now here's the guy. Yeah. 
you know, it's sort of like, what does it mean if this is going to be the guy? Mm. You know, what what are the kind of boundaries? Mm. What are the... So, I mean, I, I, I think often when I'm watching it now, since I've read more about the film, about the scenes at the ranch, because he has a ranch, Chris, Chris Christopherson. Of course he has a ranch, you know. <laughs> um, he hasn't acted much by actually by this point. Um, he's been like five years in the army. He's been to Oxford. Yeah, I know. Uh, he's been. He's worked on the Alaska Railroad. He's been flying helicopters. No, um, um, boxing. No, a star is born. No, yeah, yeah. He's been boxing, and he's been uh, a famous singer-songwriter. So he's kind mm. of done everything, but not much acting per se. You know, mm. this is a very early role for him. Um, and um, actually, Marty had some good advice for him, which was, uh, "Don't worry about the script. Just leave the dialogue." And I'm not going to particularly give you any, any direction. Just like say things how you would say them and leave it at that, which is a really good advice again, because mm. he, everybody shines in all the right ways. And he's another one that works really well, even though he's very new to acting. And he might, I think he was probably very self-conscious mm. uh, in doing his performance. But anyway, he has this ranch and she, you know, Ellen goes to visit him on this ranch. And, you know, they'd be sort of, they had to hire this ranch. Um <laughs> They had to hire this ranch to shoot on from a couple who then went away for a few weeks while they 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 filmed. Of course, they ran over and the couple come back. And there's this wonderful story. I, I mean, it's out there somewhere, but I just remember seeing uh, Ellen Burstyn telling a story about how they're like filming and the couple are basically sat like they're filming in their living room, the front room of this of this, this house in this on this ranch. Whether well, they shoot horses and other things there, don't they? Like, don't shoot horses. That's a different thing entirely. It's a different <laughs> film. Um, but you know, they 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 they're shooting scenes of like the fields and yeah. the horses and so on. But they also shoot the interior of the house, and um, they um, the couple just sort of sat off screen, like waiting for them to do to finish the takes on like the last day or whatever. And they're just sort of like they want to get into their living rooms. Ellen Burson's saying, so we do a scene. You know, it'd be an intimate scene. Me and Chris Christopherson like on the couch like maybe like holding each other or smooching or whatever and then and then Marty they'd say cut and Marty'd be like I think we let's let's go again and they'd be like what was wrong with that one why don't you just use that one it's fine because it's just one of them out yeah so they had to just do some of the ranch back. some of those most intimate see you know I think Ellen Burson said something like has anyone ever shot a movie under these circumstances it's very unusual so there's a whole section of the film that's like done under this pressure but you'd never know it because it's again it's also wonderfully naturalistic and you know the the cast have done such a great job um i think it just ultimately the people the way that everybody behaves in this there's a sort of canned like a tinned reality about it it's it's, it's a potted reality it's mm. it's obviously sort of compressed into this story but there is a, you know, everybody's interactions and everything about it is, there is a real reality about it. And that's the thing, the thing that makes Alice sing. Mm. And she does sing. <laughs> by those, by the way, those singing scenes. Yeah. I find them to be really fascinating because when she's auditioning for someone or when she's singing in a piano bar, they're kind of transcendent because she isn't, even at the beginning when she just, I mean, the moment after she's freed from her husband right in the beginning, the first thing she does is get on piano mm. and sing like a bird. Mm. Like she's literally free. She literally spreads her wings yeah. at that moment, doesn't she? It's a fantastic scene. And every time she sings, you get this, you know, because obviously Ellen Burstyn's singing. And 
I don't. I, I'm saying this to illustrate a point in a way because it makes it sound like she's bad. She isn't. She's not the best singer in the world, but it's very transcendent and very powerful. And it is something about Burston's charisma that draws you into those mm. scenes because you see her singing. It's not that she has a bad voice. It's just that she's not. You know. Yeah. I don't know, with Mariah Carey or whatever. Yeah. I mean, God, maybe that's an awful thing to listen to. But you know what I mean? <laughs> like, she's not like a great, a great, great vocalist. But, yeah. the, but she is in a way a great mm. vocalist. She's a she's great. She's sort perform- of exactly who you would think is in this world at this time, going around trying to be a singer in these bars. Yes, <laughs> like it makes total sense. And that's the surface of it as well. But yeah. then behind it, that's the beauty, isn't yeah. it? Because, but when you know the whole story of her, there's such a richness yeah. to the character. Yeah. That it you get you get that weird juxtaposition between the facade of a woman who's trying to do singing piano bars mm. and then a real woman mm. that is behind it and her life story yeah. and who she is. Yeah. Um, of course, this is Burston reaching her peak here. She won the Oscar for it, as I say. The same year, she won a Tony Award for a stage play she was doing. Um, and you know, again with Scorsese reaching his peak. Um, you know, about to, I mean, you know, uh, where do we go from there? Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, The Departed. I mean, just, I mean, the list is endless with mm. Scorsese in terms of great cinema. Um, and, you know, he's paying tribute to the past whilst leaning very much into that, let's say, feminist future, female future. Uh, and, um, you know, it, but breaking free dramatically from... Yeah, again, traditions of cinema whilst paying... I mean, there's so many good things about Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. I mean, I can't... It's a recommended movie, wouldn't you say? Definitely, yeah. Uh, and I've watched it twice, obviously, and like I said earlier, yeah. and I just think on the second watch, I, I I just forgot how good it was. Yeah. And I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, she's amazing. Yeah. And the kid's amazing. Like, it's just worth watching just for their both their performances. And we've done screenings of this just or or even just like watched it with friends should i say where we've we've screened it uh, uh, i'm using this word screened it but you know we've shown friends this movie we put on film screenings we do put on film screenings yeah but we we will screen a movie for a friend and and people will sort of have no you know they'll know Martin Scorsese they'll know Ellen Burst and mm-hmm. have but they have no concept of this movie and just every, i think always people are surprised at how good this movie is yeah and I think it's going to be one of those movies. It's just one of those films that like stays with you and sort of touching. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to use that yeah. weird word, but it yeah. is. Yeah. Because it leaves a mark, and you think it's one of those films that gives you a glimpse into a life that you don't always see. Mm. And it's empathetic towards the characters, and it's not. There's. It's not just like binary between good and bad people. It's just a real portrait. And uh, weirdly, there's a television series that was spawned from it. Did you know that? Really? Yeah, with Diane Ladd was in it. Oh. But she didn't play that same character. It. She played a different really? a different character. Apparently, I mean, I don't know about this. Apparently, it ran for years. I mean, okay, we're I don't know. Okay, we're going to have to look this one up. I don't, think it's, I don't know if it's any good. <laughs> no, it's probably not. <laughs> um, but it doesn't have Ellen okay. Burstyn. It doesn't have... Is it called Alice Doesn't Live Here? Uh, I think it's just called... Uh, oh, that's a great question. We should have such a, a fact on hand, shouldn't we? I don't think it has... Uh, the, it doesn't have the boy in it. It doesn't have Martin Scorsese directing it. Yeah. It doesn't have Chris Christopherson. Uh, it doesn't have any of these things. What Have you found out what it was called? So it's called Alice and it ran from 76 to 85. Wow. And it's all centred in Mel's Diner where Alice was employed in the film. 
76 to 85 yeah. is a long time yeah. for a show. How many ep- for a show? How many episodes? Nine of this show seasons, two hundred and two episodes. Nine <laughs> seasons, two hundred and two episodes. Astonishing. So probably people out there know this series, yeah, and have no kind of concept uh, of the film. Yeah. Well, there you go. You 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 learn something new every day, don't you? Mm. Um. But uh, yeah, and it deserved a TV series, but I don't think it'll stand up to the film. Just making a guess. Um, but, uh, I really love this film. Um, uh, oh, wait a minute. Alfred Lutter is in the, te- the kid that plays. Really? That plays Tommy is in the pilot. Oh, just in the just pilot. Just in the pilot. But okay, well, we'll, we'll watch, look it up. We'll watch the pilot then. <laughs> Worth it. Yeah. So, um, wonderful. Okay. So that's something to do. Something, something to save for a special day, for a rainy day. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I do think it's one of the great films, um, and certainly that one that underrated, and there's a number yeah, of underrated Martin Scorsese films. Mm. But I'd go further than that and say it's one of the most underappreciated, underrepresented, li- li- to not talked about enough films of the entire decade of the seventies. Mm. So, uh, if that's not a <laughs> endorsement, <laughs> An endorsement, yeah, I don't know what it is. So, well, thanks for listening to White Wilson with Podcast. There'll probably be another one that you can click on right now to listen to. Uh, So we'll see you there or we'll see you at the cinema. Uh, See you soon. Bye. Bye. (laughs)